3: Thank you, Craig Mosbach and Otto Bolden, for the call on NBCSN. Johnny Gray's American record did indeed survive. Welcome, everyone, to a special Super Bowl edition of Let's Run.com's Track Talk. I'm LRC founder Weldon Johnson, and I'll be joined by co-founder Rojo and ace track and field writer Jonathan Galt. As you heard from the call at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix in Boston, the professional track and field season is here in full force. After Boston, Sidney McLaughlin is now a pro. Is she also a diva? There was also another big debut in Boston, split-screen technology. Meanwhile, halfway around the globe in Dubai, both course records in the marathon fell, and another Federica Rosa athlete ran fast. Meanwhile in the armory, the 3,000 high school record fell. We'll discuss all of those things today, but we're most excited about having our first guest of the year, and what a guest she is. Shelby Hillihan turned heads in 2018 by not only breaking the American record at 5,000, but becoming one of the best 1,500-meter runners in the world. She won the 15s at Prix and Lausanne and blitzed the 357 by the end of the year. But she's not content to rest on her laurels in 2019, as she's now Shelby Hulan, 10K runner. She'll be making her 10K debut at this weekend's World Cross Country Championships in Florida, and we'll discuss that decision with her and what's on tap in 2019. Guys, Robert, Jonathan, welcome.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here, Walden. I didn't actually know that world cross country was this week, and I thought it was just the U.S. cross country championships. We're going to have to get uh, get up to date really quickly on that one.
2: Yeah, know. Do we pick up? Do we? I haven't seen any book tickets booked for Denmark yet, so we got a lot. We got about one week to turn that around, right? But uh, no, very excited for uh, what should be another good weekend of track and field and cross country, but- even.
3: My second mistake of the 2019 podcasting season. Yes, the U.S. cross-country championships are this weekend. I'm so pumped about the world championships in Aarhus, Denmark. If anyone's thinking about a great trip, seriously, book your tickets, email me. We'll sort of try to arrange something on Let's Run. It's going to be great. They got races for like spectators who can run. And then they're going to have you run over on top of a building. There's water. It's going to be classic cross-country with beer tents, sponsor, They've been promising a proper Danish party for a couple years. So if anyone's thinking about a trip to Europe later this spring, get on it.
0: Uh, I didn't know that you'd be attending, well, then I have a legacy at Let'sRun.com of being the only member to go to all parts of the world, Amman, Jordan, Guiyang, China, world cross-country. So I was hoping to be the only Let's Run member there, but I guess sharing the ball, if I guess. But no, it should be a, a, a great meet. I'm very excited about it.
3: Yeah, it's going to be tremendous. And we got a 30-minute interview with Shelby Houlihan at the end of this podcast. So time is short, guys. Let's get started. Robert said he would uh, drink a beer at every podcast. This is the first podcast we've actually done at night. This is the Sierra Nevada Resilience IPA. I am supporting the people from the campfire. So this is for a good cause. Anyone out there own a brewery? We should have an official beer of Let's Run dot com and the official beer runners everywhere. Let's let's get on it. Wait, sponsor plug. Floyd's of Leadville is the sponsor of this podcast. There's research indicating that CBD hemp oil can be effective at helping manage post workout inflammation and helping you with pain. Check out com. They've got tinctures, creams, gels, pills that you can take. Use code Run 10 to save 10%. Thank you, Floyds of Letville. For the last podcast, I took a little Floyds tincture under the tongue. I'm doing that now. Here's the tincture on the tongue, guys. All right, someone else. Let's kick this off as I take my Floyds.
0: Well, Jonathan, where do you want to begin? I, I, I feel like we have to begin where I don't want to begin, and that's with Sydney McGawkins' pro debut. I mean, she's a sort of... Media star, I, I was very much opposed to her getting the last race of the day in Boston, racing a watered-down field, um, and she did win the field, and they announced it on TV. Speaking of bad broadcasting, I meant to add a section into my Let's Run.com week that was uh, article about bad broadcasting. There are two instances of it this weekend. The second being um, signer Richard Watts announcing it as a world record when it was sort of a mediocre world-class time. But, Jonathan, Sydney won her pro debut – What I'm curious about was, was there really a lot of buzz? Were the fans into it? Did they buy sort of what I would say is almost, I don't know, it was a little bit too choreographed for me.
2: The fans were into it, for sure. Um, I would say, compared to previous editions, I spoke to a few media members uh, in a post-race get-together, and they were telling me, did it feel like a little off this year? Did it feel like there wasn't quite as much buzz in the building? And I, I kind of agreed with them. But the final race was the loudest I heard it all night when she was introduced. They were, you know, very excited during the entire race. Darren Rovell of the Action Network was actually at the meet. He was sitting next to me in the media tribune. He was there specifically for Sydney's pro debut, though he is a track fan. We were watching the other races together as well. So, there was definitely a buzz. She, stood, you know, she signed a lot of autographs afterwards. Clearly people were excited to see her. I don't think they cared that much that she wasn't racing anyone very good at the 500 meters. And she was running this odd distance at a time, which no one really knew what it meant. Uh, clearly not even Sonia Richards Ross. So, but there was a buzz, you know, people cared about her and I thought she was, you know, she's very poised in the pro- pe- post race, uh, interviews that she does. And she's been like that since she was 16. So there, there is definitely excitement, whether that will carry on. And can she carry the entire sport on her shoulders? I probably, you know, she's going to be a big star, but is she going to save the sport? I think that's kind of an impossible task for one person to do alone, but certainly there was energy in the building for this race, which was her only indoor race of the season.
0: Yeah. The idea of saving the sport to me is a ludicrous one. Um, I mean, people said, first of all, the sport would die when the same bolt went away and seemed just fine to me last year. Anyways, but yeah, if you type into Google right now, the top stories, it just, the headlines were bothering me. Sidney McLaughlin runs world lead and professional debut, and they're linking to Runner's World. Um, I think Taylor Dutch article was Taylor even at the, at the meet, John, so I think they, they were relying on a lot of your interviews, actually. So, you know, but the other story, John, that you broke worldwide, thanks to me catching it in your article and sort of emphasizing it on the message board, was Sidney McLaughlin wasn't happy at Kentucky. This is the Canadian running magazine. There's two headlines that show up in Google right now. So... That was interesting to me. I mean, you sort of talked to her about her new coach training. She's moved out to California. And you said, you know, why didn't you follow Edric Ford out? You know, Sydney ran last year at Kentucky, she's now the new coach of Texas. And, you know, she said she didn't enjoy the training environment in Kentucky. Some people are saying that she's saying she didn't enjoy Kentucky. To me, those are two different things. I think she probably enjoyed college. Who doesn't enjoy their freshman year of college? But, it, you know, and now there's a thread John on the message board sort of calling her a diva for that and asking why did she say that I when I read your article didn't think that at all I thought this was amazing this was actually very mature she was speaking honestly she answered the question it wasn't a dick a, a dig at 4l she ran amazing last year just take me through sort of the tone I haven't actually watched the interview I just read what she said what what was the center like how did she feel about that
2: yeah, I think she was she was candid. She was honest. She wasn't saying I hate Coach Flo. I she wasn't throwing anyone under the bus. I think she was just saying that training environment. When you got to remember, she's a fre- she's a freshman. She's a very talented freshman, but she's a freshman in high in college, stepping into an environment with a woman who is the world record holder in the hundred meter hurdles, Kenny Harrison, and who won the world indoor title in the sixty hurdles last year. And the world champion in the 400 hurdles, Corey Carter. Those two women are seasoned professionals. They're very serious. You know, it's an intense environment with both of those two in there. And then you're adding a, a girl who the year before is training with a bunch of high schoolers. And she's then stepped into an environment with two of the best hurdlers in the entire world. And to her, she saw that and every practice just seemed very intense to her i don't think that's what she was quite looking for and she's doing all this as so she's transitioning to a new part of the world a new uh setup in terms of how she's living you know, she's off by her own in college for the first time i think she just saw that and was like look this is a lot on my plate right now and it's, it requires a lot of constant, of constant focus a lot of commitment." And those are things I mean, obviously, she has some level of commitment, She don't get to run the times that she has without it. But I think in in all, she just wanted a more laid back environment. She wanted one where she wasn't going to be having compete with these other women every day for attention or for, you know, in splits or workouts and that sort of thing. She didn't want to be measuring herself against, again, two of the very best in the world every single day in practice. And so she sought out a different environment, one that was more laid back, one that she thought she would enjoy more. That's why she chose Joanna Hayes at USC. And, you know, we have yet to see the results because she's run one race at an off distance in January. But she seemed very mature about the whole thing. And she was even, I asked her, you know, she was the world leader by a fair amount last year. If you don't win the world championships, is that, you know, you're going to view that as a failure, given that you were so far ahead of everyone on the world leaderboard last year. She's like, no, this is a transition year. This is about staying healthy, making sure I get myself in the right environment that I transition, you know, from college to professional and make that transition smoothly. And the, you know, she thinks that she's going to have several years beyond this to still run really well. And I think it was all in all very mature decision. I don't think she was throwing anyone under the bus. I think she was respectful. I thought she handled it all very well. And it was interesting to learn why she chose to go to California.
3: Yeah. I thought it was great too. the honesty. This is Weldon, you know, at, we're always critical of athletes and not saying how they feel. She didn't throw anyone under the bus. As you said, John, she answered the question and then people in let's run want to call her a diva. You know, she, she can have a personality on social media, Instagram, sort of, you know, be some sort of fashion icon. That doesn't mean she's a diva when she has, answers questions. You know, it, it, it's how the sports world should work. She runs a soft race. We pointed out, I think as Otto Bolden said, not, the, not the strongest, the fields here, that's you know when you're on the broadcasting team sometimes your criticism isn't quite as strong and it's fine you know they want to set up a win they got it she answered the questions and now it's on to the outdoor season for her but it's good to hear that there was a buzz in the stadium I'm I'm glad sort of that was there like track and field it needs all the buzz it can get the indoor circuit used to be a big thing back before I was a kid you know they had Professional meets at all the big arenas in America. All the big basketball stadiums had professional meets, and now we've got th- pretty much what three indoor meets and converted, you know, something now much much bigger than a barn. <laughs> so it was, it was a great meet on TV. Uh, there's some great action. Anything else stand out from Boston that we want to talk about quickly?
0: Yeah, and I haven't watched the whole television broadcast, but NBC executives, I do stuff, I. I it's probably annoying people because every year I act like I'm an expert on television. When all I do is Ivy league broadcast folks though, get your ESPN plus subscriptions. Now I'll be doing the Ivy league broadcast at the end of February on ESPN plus. But to me, there's, it's not that hard to do a broadcast. Well, and what I noticed this year is they've got Otto Bolden, who I love. He is the ultimate. He's our favorite sprint analyst in the, in the world. Um, But this year they had him doing the play by play. And I just, I'm going to have to go back and watch the whole two hours, but the listen the little part that I listened to, I was also watching an um, NBC Goal, which had Tim Hutchings, which is a different announcer, on my computer. But it doesn't work well. Otto is a sprint analyst. It, when he's doing play-by-play, we don't even get his an- analysis really that much because we have to listen to Sonia Richards-Ross. Otto Bolden is so much better than Sonia Richards-Ross. We want to hear Otto Bolden. I know that the, the, the audience for the Olympics – is predominantly female or is more than 50% female. So maybe they're trying to get Sonia a role in there. You can bring her in a little bit, but let Otto do his sprint analysis. He should not be doing play by play, or maybe let him do the play by play for the, for the sprint races. But the distance races, I don't know. Like you have to kind of be either a pro play by play guy or no distance running to do that. Um, or, Otto, just give me a call before the races, and I'll tell you what to talk about because it's – You got you got a lot of – like I could fake doing play-by-play for a sprint race. People don't think about this because there's only a few seconds. There's nothing to – you don't have that much time. In a distance race, when Jenny Simpson's running on 5K, you have 15 minutes to burn. So you kind of really have to know distance running or be a pro play-by-play guy. So that was my, my big complaint there. But, yeah. There were, there, were two,
3: there were two improvements on the broadcast. We got to give them improvements. John, you're probably not aware of this because
2: you didn't see it. Oh, I was told about this, the split screen. Whoa, you heard about it. Paul Swangard was talking it up. He was making sure that I I knew about this, and it's a long awaited development, and uh, it gets a round of applause from me. I'm not even sure. Like, I I was,
3: I'd been at the um, Dr. Norb Sander imitation with Columbia, where there was a world record in the four by mile by the Brooks Beast. Shout out to them. A high school record by Caitlin Tui in the women's 3K. Um, so I was still working on that and watching the meet at the same time. And I saw a split screen. I was like, Whoa, I think it was for field events, maybe an interview. They did it. And then also at one time they went to commercial and they put the commercial on the left and they kept the action going on the right. Like they do for, you know, the short commercials for NFL games. Now it's tremendous.
2: Yeah, they were definitely, yeah. Paul Swangard, when he, he let me know, he pulled Swangard does, uh, some of the stuff for USATF.tv and for NBC sports gold, and he was making sure I knew about it. And I, you know, he was proud that they had been able to get it together. And I think that's a, definitely a welcome development.
3: Uh, yeah, I think that was it, it. it. Paul was doing his field event recaps and they kept the showing the distance. Business trees. executives,
0: please email, please email me, Robert at let'srun.com. I'm curious when you have one of those split screen ads, like when they're, you know, NFL, and they did a lot in this actually NBC SN broadcast, do you pay more or less for an ad when they're showing action at the same time? I can see the argument for both. You pay more because people actually aren't going to the bathroom because they want to watch what's going on, or you pay less because your ad is splitting screen time with something else. So I'm not sure what the answer is.
2: Well, it sounds like a a wrap on Boston. Should we move on, uh, talk a little Dubai, talk Camel City, where you guys want to go next?
0: Well, we know that the course records were set, and I think we need to ask questions. My biggest question coming out of Dubai, getting a MOLA Ruth 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 get it. Is that how I said it? And get it John? Is that correct? 217
2: get it? yeah, I think so. So
0: uh, this was MOLA's debut. We've never seen a debut this fast. John, Dubai, though, has a history of guys that debut fast and don't always run that well down the road, although you know they normally run pretty good after that. Will getting a be a flash in the pan or do you think this guy is someone that will be a force in the marathon for at least the next five years
2: do you have a coin handy i would uh i would flip it and if it's heads yes if it's tails no uh he clearly did some impressive stuff in the half marathon he was fifth in valencia last year he was first in riyadh which was a really tough race he ran 12.59 on the track clearly he's got a pedigree but Who knows? I mean, we look at these guys who've won the marathon in Dubai. Two, You know who won three years ago? This guy Tesfaye Abera. He won another marathon in Hamburg that spring, made the Olympic team, and has done absolutely nothing since then. If you look before that, you've got Sergey Mekinen, you've got Ayel Abshiro. These guys haven't really done much. But then you've got the 2013 winner, Lelisa DeCisa. Well, he's won Boston twice and he's won New York. You've got the 2015 winner, Lemmy Bahanu. He has won Boston. So you're looking at it. It's roughly 50-50 in terms of, will this guy make it as a big-time guy? I mean, you could say the fact that he's run 203-34, that he's in the top 10 all-time already, you could kind of say he's made that. But yeah, I I would like to see. Will he win a major, I think, is the more interesting question. And I think past evidence suggests it's probably around 50-50.
0: I'm going big. This is Robert who asked the question. I'm emphatic. Yes, he will win a major. Yes, he will be a force. And the reason why I say that is, he won the Riyadh Half. I know everyone didn't show up, but that was a good feel. They had over two hundred thousand dollars for first place last year. He's run twelve fifty nine. This this isn't some unknown. I mean, he's unknown sort of to the casual fan in America, even the Let's Run regular Let's Run visitor, because twelve fifty nine. You know what? Are you finishing seventh in Diamond League race? If you're not in the top two or three, people aren't paying attention to you. But this guy, to me, I mean, he could be a poor man's Elliot Kipchoge. Um, You know, I mean, Elliot was obviously faster and a world champion. But there aren't that many guys that are, you know, how how many people in the world history have run sub-205, sub-13? I don't know the answer to that. Um, But to me, you know, I don't know how it could be a fluke to win Dubai for any of these guys. Clearly for him, it wasn't. So that's the answer there. And on the women's side, obviously, with Ruth, in 75 days, she broke 219 twice. or was the first time. Yeah, right. 218 and 217. That is yep. ridiculous. So the question really is is there any chance they get her into London? I mean, that would be a third marathon. I, I would say she doesn't do that. But
2: well, it's also with London accept uh, given I think they're legitimate. Again, she hasn't tested positive or anything like this, but some of these World Marathon Majors directors, they they get worried when you see red flags popping up and one red flag is running two extremely fast marathons in a very short period of time. Another red flag is she's represented by Federico Rosa, which again, not obviously not every Rosa athlete is dirty, but he's also had a string of his athletes test positive. And so I think people are legitimately worried that if they invite another one who has maybe a couple red flags and then she comes in and wins London. And then a few months later, she gets popped. That would look embarrassing for them. I don't know. I can't speak one way or another where she, whether she's actually doing anything, but I, I feel like it's the chances of her getting invited to London at this point, uh, are pr- pretty slim. And especially since they look like they've already spent a ton of money on the elite fields.
0: Well, John, you bring us to our message board, post of the week folks i've just highlighted it on the top right hand corner of the message board i've changed the name because it had been up for a few days but nobody really realized it because a non-english native english speaker started the thread renato canova has posted he started a thread I've, did, I've now the new title for the thread is renato canova defends federica rosa it is not possible to control what they individually do so basically in our dubai recap we mentioned the chip chip get represented by Rosa who represented some and Kiprop, all these
2: three um, to too, as well. Too, yeah. Yeah.
0: Obviously Kiprop's still sort of appealing his d- doping suspension, but, um, and, and Canova, I thought had a good point. He's like, look, it's impossible to know who's doping. If you run a system with the way the roses do. And his argument is he's like, Josh Herman's the other big agent. Um, in Kenya, he runs a very tight camp. Like Basically, everybody's in the LA Kipchoge camp, and the coaches see everybody every day. They live there for most most of the days of the week, and you would see what's going on. You can educate the athletes. If somebody was doping, everybody would know about it. The Rosas have tons of camps all over Kenya. They have a lot of beginning athletes, and sort of they just sort of maybe work with some local coaches. They're not necessarily coaching them. It's not as tight. not as much observation. So Canova's argument is like, there's no way to know what they're all doing. And uh, Hey, that's a good argument, but I I posted a reply on there. I said, well, okay, that's fine. But in 2016, Federico's father, Dr. Rosa, Gabriella Rosa, he was defending Claudio Baradello. And he's like, look, Claudio should have known who was doping. He said, Claudio's a good guy. He's not a doper. These athletes, it was kind of the same, similar to what Canova's saying. Like, look, these athletes were doping on their own. Claudio didn't know about it. You know, he but he should but Dr. Rosa said he should have known. If you're with the athletes, you should know who's doping. Well, Dr. Rosa himself was coaching Jemima Sumgong. And he was telling me in 2016 in New York, look, she didn't used to be that good of a marathon. I mean, she had like five years when she didn't break 228. All of a sudden she's the Olympic champion. And he said, Oh yeah, it's because I had her work run faster in practice. Looking back at that, guys. Did I believe that run faster in practice? I mean, looking back now and in, in hindsight, three years later, it's like, or two and a half years later, it's like, did I publish an article knowing that this was a joke and she had to be doped? You run faster in practice and you get like eight minutes faster. What? But uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm proud of Canova for defending his friend and his fellow Italians, but, and he makes a good point. I, I don't think. You know, I and obviously if if we think, you know, look, when she ran 218, I'm like, okay, test her now. So hopefully the Idaho thinks the same thing. She'd run 217. So if anyone's going to be tested a ton in the world,
2: it's going to be her. So that's the big thing. She needs to be tested consistently. And I I don't think she's, she's not in the world marathon major testing pool. And they have a good, you know, they've been pretty good about testing all their athletes, but she hasn't run any majors. So she's not going to be in their testing pool, but she should now be in the IAF pool. Um, So hopefully she gets tested. She. Continues to pass, hopefully, and she will get to run. You know, Assuming she's clean, she will continue to pass. That's the hope everyone's saying. Yeah, If she's dirty, I don't want her to pass the test is what I'm saying. But yeah, the more she's tested, the more there will be credibility behind her, and then she will likely run some majors at some point.
3: I think a good proposal would be like, I don't know, the Roasters should give back the money that they've won from all these dirty athletes winning races. I mean, think how much money they've gotten off – Assuming Aspel Kiprop is shown to be dirty, you know, they're taking 20% of his endorsement contracts, his appearance fees, all of this. I mean, it, it's for Kiprot's case, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars and he gets popped. I guess he keeps his money too, because he's already spent it or saved it or whatever. He only has to pay it back if he wants to actually race again. And they keep the money. So yeah, you can say, oh, it's decentralized. We don't know what's going on. But maybe there needs to be something put in place that the agents are expected to pay back the money or they could put money in escrow and say, if anybody, one of our athletes gets popped, we will give this money back to the sport. We'll give it to price money. We'll give it to drug testing. We'll give something. But instead, it's just like, oh, it's decentralized. We're not responsible. You know, It's like some of these, I don't know, compliance officers at banks, they sort of look the other way. Certain, Oh, you know, it's not, can't be certain what they're doing. We don't know they're breaking the rules.
2: Reminds me of college basketball coaches, to be honest, where uh, you know, they they all claim they never knew what these malfeasances were going on with their program and you know, they just happened to happen under their supervision, but it wasn't their fault.
3: Yeah, exactly. Until <laughs> the FBI <laughs> looks into it and found out some of them did know what was going on, right? Some of them did, some of them didn't. Not everyone. Yeah, that's but... true. I mean
0: By the way, speaking of college basketball, do you guys know that this shocked me this week that a lot of John Wooden's players were paid big time money to go to UCLA. Like I've mm-hmm. lost not all respect for the man, but I don't want to hear about oh, the wooden way. You know, people sort of say like, oh, when you got hired at Cornell Robert, you said they'd be top ten. And now my take is like how many how many Super Bowls did Bill Belichick win in Cleveland? And I love my guys at Cornell and I think we were very successful. But if you don't have tip top talent you're not going to be a world beater. Look at how about Alberto Salazar, when he was looking, working with the likes of Mike Donnelly and Chad Johnson, who were sort of guys of weekly, well, roughly Weldon's ability. He wasn't turning the world on fire. Now that he's getting Yomif Kvelche and Mo Farah, he's doing it. So John Wooden, don't get me wrong, was an amazing coach. But when you're paying Lou Al-Salinger to show up, of course you're going to win. But th- that blew my mind. I'd never heard that, and apparently it's a known fact.
3: Well, Robert Johnson slurring legends first sitting McLaughlin, now john wooden all in the same podcast guys any any other thoughts on the action last weekend on the track i don't know we haven't really talked about the arm- armory meet or no the only other really news was i think bekele said he's gonna run tokyo
2: yeah so i think it's time to move on i would say look at the one question robert had about tokyo um i think it's a good one I, 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 have some, qu- I, I have
0: some. I have some questions for all of you. Let's just do some rapid fire questions. All right, are we go. pretty much going to get out of here and go to this go to this uh, interview that you guys did?
3: Or yeah, we got we got world we got USA Cross and Shelby Healhan. She had some pretty interesting stuff to say. So before we get to that, let's address
0: a few questions. One, well then, you can start because I've already asked John this question off here. Will Sydney McLaughlin win a global outdoor title? In 2019, okay, not counting for before. Will she win the 400 hurdle title in 2019?
3: Hate being put on the spot. I feel I like doing the contrarian. I feel like the contrarian picks to say no. Um, I think she either she breaks the world record and wins the world title, or or she doesn't win the world title. Like either it's like an either or. Yeah. So I think at the end of the year she'll have the world record and the world title, or she'll have neither.
0: I, I agree with you. And uh, I'm kind of like you. I like to to be contrarian. I'm going to say no as well. And my argument would be, I don't know. She clearly doesn't like a lot of pressure. She may be so much better than everybody else. She can still do it, but there's going to be pressure on her. And I don't know. Like, I don't know if she's going to really enjoy that. It's all the way in October. I guess if they're smart, they can start her season late because she's not in college or high school. But it just seems a long time for her to to be patient. Um, so my argument would, would be, you know, no as well. Um, and John, you know, we were sort of talking this off air. She told you like she'd like to do some modeling. She signed with the, like William Morris the agency. Do you think? I mean, she said she didn't like the professional environment of the Kentucky training. Can you be the world's best at something if you're not all in and committed to training like a professional?
2: Yes. The greatest track and field athlete of all time, well, greatest sprinter of all time, at least, was Usain Bolt. He was in a training camp with Johan Blake. Everyone who has heard anything about the you know, Johann Blake, Usain Bolt, they will tell you Johan Blake was the harder worker in that in that group. Okay? johan blake ran incredible times he was a 100 meter world champion usain bolt's the greatest sprinter of all time he was not known as the hardest worker he worked hard when he had to but he he had a lot of different things he liked to have fun he was relaxed he wasn't all about you know just abs- he, he won a ton but he wasn't i feel like would you guys say he was 100 percent all in on track like it feels like i feel like he had other interests he liked to do other things And he turned out pretty well. So that that would be my example. And I think even if McLaughlin wants to do modeling and that stuff, there's time to do that. But as long as she balances her time and manages her time commitments well, I think she can still be the world champion. And I would pick her to be the world champion in the 400 hurdles this year. Assuming the coaching switch goes well. That's the biggest question mark for me.
0: Okay, we need to to record our predictions. Two no's and one yes. John, that's a good point, though. I mean... by the way, just, guys, see Bolt's comments, though, this week. I, I focused on them in the week that was. He's now criticizing the current crop of Jamaican spinners for not being dedicated and working hard enough and getting too much money too early, and that's why they're not good. So it seemed weird to me. But um, I think that Sydney, I think there's a point you need. To me, the key is she doesn't need to be focused. on. It's January. I think actually learning to relax. I think there's a lot of distance runners that are kind of like, focused all the time. I don't think that's healthy. I think right now you could afford to be 30% focused. You need to let loose. You need to know when it's not important. You need to have your off season and then your in season, particularly as a sprinter. So as long as she can focus really intensely for like two months, I think she could be fine. But I don't know. I think it does take a lot of work and that would make me a little bit nervous if I was New Balance. Like You can't just Go through the motions and be a world champion. I mean, Bolt obviously worked hard when he needed to. Um,
2: yeah, no one's but, disputing that. Certainly, when he had to, he he put in the work.
0: Okay, so next question is: We talked about Bakile. He's going to be running Tokyo. I was very excited to see this, John. Like, simple question: Will Kenenisa Bakile finish the 2019 Tokyo Marathon? And the I reason why I how- asked that is because if. If he finishes, I think he runs well. If he's not finished, I think he, the higher likelihood is he doesn't start. A, he may not start or he may not finish.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say he wins. Has he won? How many marathons has he won? When's the last time he won? I think it was 2016 Berlin, right? Yeah, since the 2016 Berlin, he's here's his results DNF Dubai, second London, DNF Berlin, sixth London, DNF Amsterdam. So. Obviously, London's a tough race. Twenty seventeen, getting second in London—I mean, that would win a lot of marathons. But I don't know. He's just—he's not consistent enough for me to back him. I would say it's more likely that he drops out than he, or that he doesn't start or doesn't finish than that he runs well. But obviously, he's still super talented. If he ever gets it together in the marathon like he did in twenty sixteen, he's a threat to win.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me because I think that. I mean, he's the headliner, right? They're announcing him sort of as the headliners. I can't imagine you do that. And the race is only how many weeks away? It's not like Tokyo announces their field very late. So you think he wouldn't do that if he didn't think he was in somewhat decent shape. Um, but you know, one thing to remember about Bikile is people act like he hasn't done anything. He did run 203 low in a marathon. He's the ninth fastest guy all time if you average their top five performances. Thank you, Ken Nakamura. He's 205.18. So he's, if he's into it, he runs well, you know, and if he can finish, I thought this race was really good for him because the problem I think with him is he's only motivated by greatness. Like he wants to break, he wanted to break the world record. Maybe the two hundred one thirty nine got that out of his head. Like, I can't do that. So that would be smart. I would like to see him just run races and try to win them. He was a great cross country runner. Go to New York. That's your race. Go there. Don't try to run with Kipchoge in Berlin. Go to New York and win it. Now, that same thing with Tokyo. It's normally, It's not as good as London, but go to Tokyo, just run in the lead pack and try to win it. The problem is, I'm not sure if that motivates him to train. And if he doesn't train, it's just like City McLaughlin. You can't win, particularly at a marathon. So, but I would love to see him run Tokyo, win it, run New York, win it, or just win one of them, particularly New York. And then go into the Olympics and think, if I can somehow beat Kipchoge, it's not going to be a time trial. It's going to be hot as hell. I mean, to me, they need to move the marathon out of Tokyo. It's too hot. It's not even a real sport. It's just going to be whoever's the best hot weather runner, most likely. If it's Kipchoge, great. If it's not, you know, whatever. But imagine the excitement if it was on a real course. Like, you just say to Kenanisa, if you beat Kipchoge, there's no doubt you're the greatest. So I'm excited for it. Very excited. I'm going to be watching Tokyo. Right. And Tokyo is on like at night here. Right. So we can watch it pretty easily. if I remember.
2: Primetime Saturday night marathoning. It's great. Speaking of pressure and people
3: dealing with it real quickly. I don't know. Caitlin Tooley set the 3k record this weekend. And meanwhile, I think it was an indoor meet in Virginia. Claudia Lane, who was seen as her rival until she got hurt this year. You know, Claudia was the Foot Locker champion. Caitlin, the NXN champion. You know, she flew all the way across the country and dropped out of a mile, like halfway through it, going over five-minute pace. And I just feel like, you know, maybe she got hurt, but it's sort of also like, I don't know. Like, she's it's her first race back, and she flies halfway across the country to do it. Excuse me, not even halfway, all the way across. That makes no sense to me, but these kids are dealing with a lot of pressure, and it's hard for them. You know, we were talking to Shelby Houlihan, and you'll hear that hear this in a second, Robert, and one thing she was saying we're like, what advice would you give high schoolers? And at first she started to say, like, why well, don't take everything serious enough? You know, I was eating McDonald's for breakfast. And then she sort of backtracked a bit and sort of said, hey, well, I, I didn't need to be taking things quite as seriously. Um, you know, Caitlin, she's, like, tremendously successful. Her coach is doing a good job of, you know, having her do different events this year than she did last year so she doesn't compare everything. She handled herself tremendously racing the pros. She said all the right things, but, you know, I feel like, I mean, everybody wants to be her, but at the same time, you know, we're just hoping it it turns out great because we've seen a lot of instances where these top, especially young female distance runners, it doesn't. So I I don't know. I was very impressed with her sort of, you know, seeing her up close for the first time, but I wish her the best.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you made some good, good points, Weldon. I mean, to me, Kane. I mean, um, yeah, we keep our fingers crossed for all these people. I mean, if you ask me, do I think Tui will be a world-beater in five years? I would say I mean, yes or no. I only have two options. I'd say no. I mean, I think the odds are clearly greater than 50% that a 17-year-old doesn't end up – the best 17-year-old isn't necessarily the best 20, 21, 22-year-old. We, we, that's not me being knowing anything about her particular situation or anything like that. You know, you, you try to look at them and see how they look. And I, I, I wouldn't have thought Mary Kane would, would be nothing now, you know. And you talked about Claudia Elaine, her flying across the country and that mile race. I mean, if you watch it, I don't feel that comfortable talking about a high schooler, but here we go. I mean, I almost want to say she like faked falling off the track. Like she just it was going so badly. It just. But wouldn't you know that you're not even in – she's a 10-minute, two-miler, like not even in five-minute shape. Like why fly out there? But what, when you said that, Weldon, you asked that question rhetorically. It very much reminded me of, of Mary Kane. Like didn't they know when she flew over to Ireland or wherever it was this summer that it wasn't going to go well? So I, I think that the elite days for Mary Kane and and Claudia are both over. Um, and I hope it's not for you know these other people. You know, it's it certainly... Uh, everyone on the message board is very excited about Caitlyn. I sort of tried to tamper that down and people got mad that I tampered it down. But it's just mainly because it's like, I can't... As a fan, I'm not getting excited until they run And then I'll be confident that that, that sort of they've matured physically and are going to... Yeah, well,
3: we we could talk about that forever. And we've got 30 minutes with Shelby Houlihan, so we need to move on. Um, also, this weekend, we got... Besides... U.S. Cross Country, which you'll hear about with Shelby Houlihan. We've got the great um, action at the Camel City Elite Meet at uh, JDL Fast Track. You have Edward Cheserek versus Nick Willis, so both bouncing back from getting beat in Boston. You have AJ Wilson versus Raven Rodgers at eight hundred. You got Clayton Murphy running the eight hundred, and that'll be a preview before for the week after on our next podcast. We'll have a sort of preview of the kind of granddaddy of the U.S. Indoor Track season, Milrose. The Milrose Games is next weekend. We'll also have a recap of the U.S. cross-country championships. And next, you're going to hear 30 minutes with Shelby Houland. She's never done a U.S. cross-country. She's never run a 10K road race. She's, you know, went down to 357 last year in 1500 from 403. Won the Prefontaine meet. It's just clicking really well. And she's super pumped to run U.S. Cross, and she may even run World Cross, she told us. So listen to that, and then afterwards we'll have a very brief sort of discussion of U.S. Cross. So here you go, ladies and gentlemen, Shelby Houlihan. All right, everyone, we're joined by 10K cross-country runner, Shelby (laughs) Houlihan.
1: Newly found 10K cross-country runner. We'll see how it works out, but yeah.
3: In case you guys didn't know, Shelby, you know, arguably for sure top three in the world at 1,500 meters is running world cross country. Well, USA year. cross
2: country. We yeah. got to find in out. In the USA cross, cross country, excuse
3: me, yeah. jumping the gun there. But Shelby, kind of tell us where you are right now training. Why'd you decide to do cross country? I'm quite surprised to see your name on the starting list.
1: Yeah, uh, I am right now in Colorado Springs uh, for, we've been up here since January 2nd, Um getting in a good block of altitude training, uh kind of getting ready for the long season ahead, but um yeah, back in like November, December, workouts had like been going well and I was feeling pretty strong and I kind of just like jokingly brought it up to my coach Jerry and was like, "How about that 10K cross country?" and he kind of laughed and then <laughs> after a couple more workouts, he was like, "Hmm, maybe maybe that is a good idea." So, it just kind of was a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing and trying to plant the seed early um, just because just it is a long season. Um, and I haven't done cross-country in since college, so about four years. And it was just kind of a new challenge, something fun uh, to throw in the mix. And I'm really excited about it.
2: Looking at your resume, uh, you haven't run cross-country since 2014 NCAAs, but you were top 10 at NCAA XC twice. So that's that's not bad at all. I'm wondering, yeah, when it comes to this race jerry is sort of he's famous for uh, having a lot of control over which where his athletes go he's very specific about when and where you guys race i'm wondering when it comes to this is this something that you you really wanted to do or is it something i mean you sort of mentioned it a little bit before but is this something he just tells you okay this is the race we're doing this is the schedule we're following or how much input do you have into that decision
1: yeah i i don't think i have as much input as i think i do <laughs> um yeah like i said i I kind of just mentioned to it it mentioned it to him early on, and um, I know that if I can kind of get it in his head far enough out, he'll at least think about it uh so mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was doing um and yeah, I mean, up until the last couple of weeks, it had always been like, well, this is something that we might do um and then about like two weeks ago, he was finally he finally committed to it and Said that i could do it um but still gonna do us indoor uh in a couple weeks a couple weeks afterwards but yeah i just i just thought it'd be fun and just something different to mix it up
2: gotcha i mean and how how prepared do you feel to run a 10k cross-country race this time
1: uh i think i'm prepared it's it's hard to say because i've never done one um i like i said i haven't done cross-country in four years and the last time I did it, it was a six k. I've never done a ten k. I've never raced a ten k at all. Um, so it'll be a little different. But I feel like I'm a fairly good cross country runner, and uh, I, I we do a lot of like endurance type of workouts. So I feel like I'm prepared for that longer race. But yeah, I mean we'll see.
2: <laughs> and would you would you run World Cross if you were selected for the team?
1: Um, undecided at this point. I feel like I was just trying to get him to let me do U.S. Cross. Uh, And so I guess that would be something to consider if uh, I would make the team. Um, But, yeah, it's totally up to him whether or not it fits into his racing schedule for me. Um, And that's something that we'd have to talk about afterwards.
2: Right. But let's – all right, let's take Jerry out of the equation for a second, though. This is up to you, (laughs) Shelby Houlihan's charts. Sorry, your choice. You finish top six of the trials. What would you do? Would you want to do it or would you not want to do it?
1: Oh, absolutely! I'm always down to race. Uh, I, I would love to, but yeah, I mean, it's it's usually not my decision anyway. So, <laughs>
3: yeah. I'm excited to hear that because I'm excited yeah. about world cross country this year. I mean, just as an event in general, it's one of our favorites. At Let's run, sort of feel like it's about as pure as it gets. But this yeah. year, you know, it's in Denmark. They have this spectator friendly course. They have, you know, a hill. You run on top of a building. There's beer tents. There's <laughs> so, you know, if we got a 1500 meter running it too, I think maybe we can get some American fans to go over
2: and watch.
1: Yeah, definitely. That'd be really cool. Sounds like a fun event. So I'd definitely love to do it. But yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens.
2: Well, I feel and like you also, you got to convince some of your teammates because you look at the the women you guys are entering in this race this week. I mean, Bauman's really, you know, sending a pretty powerful squad. You got Amy Craig, you got Courtney Frerichs, Fre- you got Marielle Hall, you got Carissa Schweizer. I mean... You guys, yeah. by yourselves, if, you know. I'm not saying that you're all going to make the team because it's a tough team to make, but if that happens, I think that that's a group that could maybe bring home a medal if you guys all decide to run in Denmark.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's I, it's really fun uh, just being able to go with my teammates. It kind of makes it a little less stressful, I guess, uh, and I'm really excited to line up with them and just kind of see what we can do. Uh, we're definitely like... I mean, I know it's not as much of like a team aspect kind of race, but we're kind of focused on just like working together throughout. And yeah, I mean, cross country is one of those races that it is kind of more of a team thing uh, traditionally. So, I mean, it'll be fun working together and kind of having everyone hopefully in a big group (laughs) throughout Mm -hmm. the whole race. Um, But yeah, it'll be fun.
2: Who's looking the fittest out of the group that you guys are sending to Tallahassee?
1: Uh, I think everyone's really, really fit. Uh, it's, it kind of just could be anyone on the day. Marielle's a really good 10 K runner, you know, Amy's a marathon runner. So like they're everyone's pretty strong. Um, Courtney's good on the grass. So yeah, I mean, so is Carissa, obviously. Um, so I mean, it'll be interesting to see, uh, kind of what happens.
3: And this time of year in training, are you guys doing a lot of, the training together I mean obviously I assume once the track season really gets going or for sure for outdoors you guys are doing much more event specific stuff but this time of year are you doing even most of your workouts as a group or tell us a little bit about that dynamic
1: yeah we've been doing all of our workouts together um this year has been a little different usually at altitude we'll kind of start focusing like usually we'd I'd be focusing on like 1500 or mile and three K or two mile workouts, uh, for indoor. And since the season's so long, we've kind of kept that fall training, just like that base strength training going into this January. Um, so we haven't done like a ton of specific, uh, like more shorter workouts, like, like, cause I'm going to do us and So I, I don't feel like we've really, put a ton of emphasis on that we've mostly just been doing base building and I mean I think we all know we're going into this not like like this shouldn't be the peak of our season right now because we're really focusing on July and you know September October uh for hopefully making that world team and having a good showing at world so this isn't really the focus we're just mostly strength training right now
3: couple of training questions. I'm sure people sort of wonder because, you know, you're a 1500 runner, but I don't know, maybe to last year, even people thought you were a 5k runner and in college you were an 800 runner and your mom Mm -hmm. was a 235 marathoner. So you've you've got a lot of talent and genes, you know, but a a huge range. But I think when you sort of became a professional, you hadn't done a lot of endurance stuff. Like what's the longest run you you even do in training? I mean, I assume that's not as far as some of the marathoners do, but... And even like yeah. out, do long tempo runs. I'm just kind of curious. Just I don't know. I, people shouldn't look for training advice just to go copy this. But I'm just kind of curious. Like, what's <laughs> yeah. what's the longest run you do? What's the longest sort of tempo type thing you do, or longest you know hard hard effort?
1: Yeah, I mean, our, our long runs. I it's taken me a few years, but I I'm up to like two hour long runs, um, and that's all we go off of time. Um, So usually depending on the pace I'm running, how good I'm feeling, it's either sometimes somewhere between like 16 to 19 miles. Um, But yeah, I mean, some of the tempos were about like four or five mile tempos. We usually do some stuff on the end too, but I think the longest, like usually like fall strength training is more like mile repeats or like, you know, like stuff like that. Like just, And that'll, that'll get up to like a 10 mile workout day. So
2: it's a lot. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Um, So yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot more than what I was doing in college. Like I think the most I ever ran in college was 16 miles a week. (laughs) So, (laughs) and definitely not that long of workouts. Um, So that's, that was the big transition coming into this group. And I think as i've been able to stay healthy and consistent and that is obviously is showing in my races i'm finally getting strong enough aerobically that i have that that speed on the end of my races
2: yeah i mean that's something i remember you bringing up uh, a few times after your races last year obviously and you know you had a ton of success on the circuit i'm curious though i mean you know clearly you've built up that endurance um and now you know your kick is coming through and that it's really powered you to some big wins but you know You're turning 26 years old next week. What is the next skill you need to develop as you, you know, sort of go further in your career? What is the next skill you really want to work on and improve? Part of your running.
1: Um, you know, I think mostly just staying consistent and staying healthy. I I think there's still a ways that I can go as far as aerobic strength. Um, I still think I'm kind of breaking the surface there. Uh, I think last year was a good jump um and but i also think it was kind of just the start um yeah i mean i feel like usually there's always little things that i can work on every year such as like diet getting a little better i'm i'm still terrible at stretching and like doing rehab stuff um so i mean there's i'm I feel like i'm the type of person that i can't do everything i can't change everything all at once or i'll just kind of burn out uh, i have to do little things at a time and it's taken me o- a long time to start like consistently doing all of the right things but i still think there's a lot of little things that i can improve on
2: yeah but i mean is, is that kind of nice to know that hey i've still got a little room to improve like if you're doing everything at once you know you kind of got to think to yourself like how am i supposed to get any better like in the back of your mind yeah. you're thinking hey it's nice i got some room to improve
1: yeah i mean it's, it's really exciting because i feel like like i said last year was a big jump um mostly just i think in confidence racing more confidently and putting myself in the mix but i do think that was kind of just in my opinion like the start of uh things coming together and doing things consistently and doing all the right things and i think there is still a lot more to improve on and that's really exciting i'm really excited to see what i can do this next year and the next within the next like I don't know how long my career is going to last, but hopefully like in the next 10 years, you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's exciting to
3: think about. Yeah, Taking a look at the year last year as a whole, I mean, it was amazing. Um, at least as an outsider, sort of looking at it, w- w- was your success last year surprised? Did it just seem, I mean, to you, you're running on this whole um, another level internationally, but did it feel just the same? Was it, if we reround things to this time last year were you guys, Talking with Jerry, like I'm really going to be great at 1500 this year. I mean, what was your sort of thought process? And I don't know. Now that you're one of the best in the world, is it? Is it? You know, it's day to day. Is it? Hey, I'm still Shelby Hulhan out there training, or is it? It's just completely different now. You're sort of on on the very tip top of the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a little surprising. I guess um I knew I knew I was capable of getting to that point. I just, I guess, wasn't expecting it to be last year um and i think i did have some big prs in the 15 and the 5k but on the inside uh just looking at it i was i think i was capable of running around 4 flat the year before and like around 1445 in the 5k the year before i just didn't really have that opportunity or i didn't take advantage of those opportunities didn't put myself in the races to run that fast um so i think the fitness has steadily thrown each year. Uh, just last year was a big step for me, just racing with confidence and kind of being a little fearless, uh, throwing myself in and, uh, to my surprise, wasn't really dying, uh, towards the end. I still had that kick, um, which was new. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as day to day stuff goes, I'm still training like I normally do, you know, uh, I don't. I try not to let that pressure of how well I did last year affect me. Like obviously, I'm a little more. I'm doing a little better and doing all the little things. And I didn't take a, a hard of a break this last fall. Um, I mean, I did take a break, but the year before, you should have seen me. I was very, very out of shape. Um, I took a really big mental break, and this year I was. I didn't feel like I needed the mental break as much because I was really excited about how the year went and how this next year will hopefully go. Um, but yeah, I mean, just same old Shelby training every day. I'm just loving what I do.
2: Yeah. What What was your favorite race from last
1: year? Um, I'd say probably Prefontaine. That was really the breakout race for me. And I, I, I knew I was capable of winning. I just didn't, you know, I just didn't know for sure. <laughs> Not that you ever know for sure, but, uh, I knew that if I put myself in there and gave myself the best shot, I could potentially come away with a win and for it to kind of come together like that and everything to fall into place was, it was a really cool experience and kind of the highlight of my, my year.
2: Yeah, I mean, and then from there, you were pretty much unbeatable for like the next two months. You know, you win USAs, you win in uh, in Lausanne as well. And then at the end of the year, you know, you were second at Diamond League final, second at the Continental Cup. Obviously, those aren't you know, on paper, objectively, they're not bad results. But yeah. when you're used to winning, they're, I think, a little. You know, obviously, you want to win those. Do you? Did you feel worn down at all at the end of the year, or was it just a simple, you know, the result of racing against really good women? Like, what do you think about those those runner-up finishes at the end?
1: Yeah, they stung a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think i I didn't run tactically very smart in the in the final of the Diamond League. Um, I, which made it harder to swallow, I guess. Uh, I think if I had run it a little smarter, I would have had a better chance at winning. And I think, yeah, I, th- I just, I think I could have potentially won, but you know, I, I didn't race that smart and I came away with second, which was still really good. I mean, it was hard cause I had to remind myself like, you know, six months ago, you'd been psyched about getting second at the Diamond Lake final and now like I'm disappointed.
3: 358, you know, it's pretty good run. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. So it's like t- trying to look at the big picture of things and reminding myself that, you know, this is this is a really, really good step this year. Um, even though it's, I almost came away with a perfect season. <laughs> um, and then the Continental Cup was kind of the same thing. It just I it just was a sit and kick race and I trusted my kick a little more than I should have probably, and I think I still kicked in a fifty-seven, but wasn't enough. Um, yeah, so. it was Winnie Chabert. Yeah, I mean, was
2: like I think she was fifty-six on that last lap, right? Or something yeah, like that. yeah, I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty hard for any woman to be. <laughs> really
1: <beat>. fast. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I just maybe would have run that a little differently as well. But it's it's good learning experience, and I think for it also being an off year, like that's the year that I do want to get second, and I do want to learn things and make mistakes. Um, to hopefully make myself better for world championships and Olympics. So I think Mm -hmm. overall it was was a really good year and I'm really happy with it. It just kind of stung at the time, uh, getting second in those two races.
3: Yeah. The continental cup, I'll forgive you for thinking you had the best kick because (laughs) I mean, you were a great 400 and 800 runner, even in high school, right? Like what'd you run in high school in the 400?
1: Uh, I think in high school I ran 55 in the open four. Um, I guess split a little faster in college. On I never ran the four hundred in college. I did it on the four by four, but around like 54.
3: Um, yeah, one so. of my pet peeves is how every fifteen hundred meter runner thinks they have the best kick. But <laughs> yes. For you in that <laughs> race, I don't blame you for thinking. Okay, I can kick pretty good on this. You know, you didn't know someone else was going to run a fifty six. But
1: yeah, I mean, you, especially every, looking I at that like, field. Yeah, every every fifteen hundred runner thinks they have the best kick. And Jerry uh, also probably thought i had the best kick because he told me to just sit and wait um and looking back i probably would have i would have taken it a little sooner and just tried to run it in the ground but yeah you live and you learn
2: yeah i mean how how often the the one thing when i think of your kick last year i think of that 5k at usa's and honestly like watching that replay it looks like you're a hundred meter sprinter just like peeling (laughs) away from everyone and i want like do you get the same feeling when you watch it or what is what is your thoughts on like that final hundred
1: Yeah, I think in that particular race, like it wasn't a super fast race. And we, we practiced doing that in practice, like in practice, we do like 120 meter sprints where you're switching gears like that. And I think if you look at closely, I can kind of see me switching gears. And I mostly did that because Rachel Schneider is really fast and I didn't really know where she was. So I just wanted to make sure I used all my gears. and. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, like I said, that's something we practice, and that's something that I've been able to get better and better at, and I practiced that in high school as well, so just, you know, ho- hopefully keep having that towards the end of my races.
2: Yeah, do you, what can you, do you know, have you ever, like, timed yourself for what you can do in 100, or, like, a flying 100 in practice? Uh,
1: I mean, I've timed myself at, like, the end of a workout doing 100, Um, I think it was, like, around 12 12- low, but I don't
2: really know what that means. <laughs> exactly. well, it sounds fast to me. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: yeah. Was it,
3: I mean, you went to high school in Iowa. Did, did that help sort of, does it really matter where you're racing? I mean, or do you, do you feel an attachment there? Is it better to win at home? And we were talking sort of before we started the podcast that you know the hardest part about being a professional runner is all the travel and your training camp and you brought your, your cat with you to stay at home, but sort of doing it in front of Friends and family is that extra special?
1: Yeah, that's I love going back uh, back to Iowa, and I'm really excited that USA's is back there again this year. Um, mostly because I still have a ton of family that live in Iowa, and it's they don't really get to see me a ton because I am traveling a lot, and they also don't get to see me race a ton because usually we're not racing in Iowa. So it's it's just a good opportunity to see everyone and have a huge fan base you know, like I can hear my whole family all the way around the track, which is a pretty cool feeling um, just to have that. And I also have like a lot of, a lot of those people that do come and watch, watch me in high school, which I think is also like a really cool connection. Um, It's a little bit of a, of a pride thing. I I do want to go back and like win just to kind of make my home uh, state proud. So (laughs) it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a really cool experience to be able to go back and have that big fan base there.
3: Yeah. Speaking of high school, I want to start asking every professional we talk to this question, but you know, there's probably a lot of high schoolers that look up to you. You know, you're, you're there like local person who made good, but like, what's the number one advice you would give a high school runner? Or if you'd look back uh, to high school, Shelby, what would you tell her?
1: That's kind of a hard question. <laughs> uh, I mean, for me personally, I know I was you know not doing a ton of the right things i was eating mcdonald's every morning before school and um just but i think that was like good for me cuz i didn't need to be a professional or even a college runner at that point i think the best advice that i can give is to not like it's just to be patient i guess um and not wear yourself out i think my coach in high school I had like kind of a personal coach that I worked with and I mostly trained like a sprinter and he only wanted to meet with me like three times a week because he just, he wanted it to be fun. And I think at the end of the day, as long as you're having fun with what you're doing, you're going to be good at it. You're going to be willing to put in the time and effort it takes to be good at it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, just staying patient and not taking it too seriously because it, it should be fun. It should be a fun thing that we're doing.
3: Yeah. And your mom was quite the good runner. Do you remember her running? And I'm sure if you're, you know, if your parents are good at running, she wants it to be fun for you, but I'm sure at the same time, she wants you to be good. Like how did they manage that yeah. whole thing? Cause you know, you developed so well at the sport. How did they make sure it was fun for you? And you sort of had this long-term approach.
1: Yeah. I think they actually did a really good job in that. And, uh, you know, I never felt pressured to go run every day or like train every day by my parents. And usually it was like my mom, I just watching my mom go run. I could see how much that she loved it. And it made me want to do it as well. And she would go out for her long runs. And, you know, I'd I'd go up and be like, can I come with you? (laughs) Just because I like doing long runs with her. And it was like a good bonding time. Um, So I kind of found the love of running on my own, which I think is a really important thing I don't think anytime you're forced to do something especially I know myself if someone's trying to force me to do something I'm going to try to do the complete opposite (laughs) um so yeah I mean I think they did a really good job in just letting me kind of do my own thing and never pressure me to try to love it or anything like that and they really like let me find it on my own which I think was huge and even today my mom is the first person i call after all my races just to kind of go over what happened or like what went right or how i felt and like she's always saying oh i think i i think you could have run faster <laughs> like all right <laughs> i felt like i did everything i could but yeah no um i don't know it's it's good to have her there and she knows all about it um it's just yeah it's a good bonding thing that we have
3: it's, it's pretty amazing how good you guys okay. uh, yeah. are go ahead john
2: oh yeah i mean i was gonna sort of talk about just like this this track season uh obviously it's still a couple months away and you know you got to run usa indoors but like you know you've run you've had success over so many distances and we obviously know your twitter handle is still shadow 800 that's not going anywhere <laughs> yeah. like are you yep. a 1500 runner for this year moving forward like how do you view yourself is that going to be the event for you
1: um I view myself as being a 1500 meter runner right now. I I'm really enjoying the 1500 and I, I think there's still a lot that I can do there. And I think that's my most experienced and strongest event right now. I, I am liking the five K, but I just, I'm still a little young there. I, you know, I, I don't really know exactly tactically how to race that very well yet. I'm getting better every time I do it, but. I feel a lot more confident just in the 1500 and I think you can kind of see that in my races. I, I just, I have a lot more confidence in myself and where I should move. It's, it's more of uh, I race on instincts more in that race than I do in the 5k. Um, but I guess that's also the conversation that I'm going to have with Jerry and what makes the most sense. I kind of hope I race the 1500 this year. I, I'm really enjoying that, but yeah, I guess, whatever he thinks is going to be the best for me is what I'll do.
2: Right. Well, I mean, I was looking at the schedule at worlds and you know, the 15 and 5k finals are like, they're like back to back. They're like 20 minutes apart. So
1: yeah. You, like, yeah I mean, you, I would probably
2: would you... won't double, but sorry, what? Oh, probably won't <laughs> I said, double. <laughs>
1: I definitely won't double.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, are you upset though that that doubles not even an option? I feel like it's a fairly natural one for, I mean, obviously for your skill set.
1: Um, I guess not upset. I, it would be, better if it was an option I, I just i like to race but at the same time you know i think there's like three rounds of the 15 and there's two rounds of the five case so there'd just be a lot of racing over that small period of time uh so i don't even know if i would double anyway uh but yeah i mean having that option would be nice um <laughs> yeah i don't
2: yeah. know <laughs> yeah no it's, i understand it's like you know not till october you have to be worrying about this stuff it's a, <laughs> a long way away yeah yeah well, the other thing I wanted to hit on briefly was the, you know, if you look at the American women, you know, you got, as a whole, American women have medaled at pretty much every event on the track in recent years, you know, 800, uh, steeplechase, 10K, they've even done it in the marathon, Amy Craig, you know, in London 2017, she was bronze mm-hmm. in the marathon. The one event no woman from America has ever medaled in at Olympics or world championships is a 5K. And I'm just curious... With the success that people have had in the ten and the fifteen, you know, why do you think that is? Why do you think there's that that drought exists, or even are you even aware of that drought? Uh,
1: no, I'm definitely aware of it. I think, I think right now, American women in the five k just kind of have that like mythical fifteen flat barrier, and I'm, I'm hoping after last summer, having uh, run in the fourteen thirties, that more people will kind of realize they're capable of running a lot faster than they are right now. Um, I'm kind of hoping to get that movement started and it helps having a bunch of 5k runners on the Tharman and team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think once we kind of get back past that mental barrier of uh, that's really that 15 flat barrier, uh, I think you'll, we'll probably hopefully be seeing more and more women making the 5k final and like being in contention, uh, which would be really exciting.
3: I like the sound of 1430 club. Cause yeah. I think you're right. It's sort of been like a 15 minute club and people could even run that. And, you know, at worlds just the way it would work, you can make a final running around there and, but it's, yeah, it's no longer competitive, you know, for the top spots.
1: No, I mean, it's, it's hard to look at like the other, like, international runners that are, are running a lot faster like they're running way faster than 15 flat and it's kind of like frustrating to see the US be so far behind that right now and yeah i mean hopefully we can kind of get the ball rolling and get more people under that that barrier and maybe they'll start realizing how much faster they can run and i'd really really like to get the us women really competitive in the 5k again so that'd be really cool
2: Bringing the f- making 5K great again, they or make it great for <laughs> the first so. time.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely make it great for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> um, John, do you have anything else? This has been great. We said we keep in yeah, thirty minutes.
2: No, I th- I think. Oh, the, I guess. All right. Yeah, we've you know you've been very generous with the time, Shelby. Last thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, do you have a Jerry story or something about Jerry that the public doesn't know? Because we, you know, I think I've talked to him. In an official interview, I've talked to him once in my career. You know, he just doesn't really <laughs> talk to the press. And he, I need to yeah. rely on the Bowman people to do that and, for yeah. me. Yeah, so unofficially, what is he's great. Give you us know? a story about him. Give us, like, something that people don't know about him.
1: Oh, a story. I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of stories. I just, like, can't really think of right now i think it was um, already
3: good john she already threw him under the bus for the continental cup tactics you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean one very thing. Subtle. we we did have this we have a bowerman banquet at the end of the year um uh, every december and i won one of the bowerman awards this year so jerry was up there uh kind of introducing me and <laughs> You know, he's definitely not one to like really pat you on the back <laughs> as far as like he was just kind of saying like, you know, she had a great season and it was almost good, but just those two second place finishes and everyone is just like, Oh my god, like <laughs> come on she got second wow. And he just like wouldn't give it to me which was I mean, I kind of agreed what he was saying, but you know, it's just it was kinda of funny to hear him like uh it was almost good. It was almost good, but just so second place finishes at the end, and yeah. He'll <laughs> so never get you, it, to yeah. <laughs> You
2: need to have a perfect season. Well, to be perfect
3: to have season. A yeah. season. <laughs> She'll show Jerry this year.
1: <laughs> Something to strive for.
2: <laughs> so well, now the, I'm the what banquet do you is it guys for the, have? like? What was that? What what different awards does he hand out at this banquet? I'm fascinated by this. Um, now
1: there was so there, it's mostly geared towards like the youth group that we have, um, but. We also recognize the professional runners in the Bowerman group and some of the uh, elite, uh, other elite runners. Um, but I, yeah, I won one and I think Mo won the the male athlete of the year. Yeah. There's a ton of different awards and it's mostly, yeah, like I said, geared towards the kids and math, there's master's awards too. We have a bunch of different groups uh, with the Bowerman track club, but yeah, it's, it's a fun banquet.
3: Well, you'll have to, Win the cross country this weekend and, you know, then, yeah. then you can be on your way to the perfect season. <laughs> yeah, don't and finish second.
1: Yeah. That's you better not finish I know. second. I'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, good luck this weekend and thank you for the time. I totally yeah, appreciate it.
1: Yeah, of course. It. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you.
0: Wow, guys. I don't even know what you said because I wasn't on the interview, but I am so excited. I wanted to have a segment before the interview, but John vetoed it, folks. We, we let the junior staffers, John, is that a is that a rude comment to call you, June Trevor Clearly, I'm letting
2: you off. To you guys, we
0: let our senior staff writers, the, the non owners of the company, we let our best writer. Oh, thank you. Segments of the of the podcast. I wanted to to make a prediction whether I thought she would run. I didn't know. My main question was, wh- is she going to run World Cross? I thought she's definitely going to run World Cross. I feel like that's the only time I run into like the the Bowerman Track Club guys. that I see. Jerry Shoemaker and uh, Pascal Dubert, the coaches will cross every two years, it seems like. Um, and I thought, you know, world's in October. Like there's no way they're going to want anything early. So why wouldn't she run world cross? You would help her. So I'm excited she said that, right? I mean, very good.
2: Well, so, right, let's uh, clarify. The plan sounds like tentatively the plan is to run world cross, assuming everything goes smoothly and they're healthy. She said she wasn't entirely sure. You know, basically they all, Kowtow to Jerry on this one, and whatever he says goes. If he thinks it's in the best interest, they'll do it. But it does seem like there's genuine interest on both sides uh, to run it for both Hulahan. If she makes the team, I mean, she's got to make the team first, and this is her first ever 10K, so it's not a slam dunk. But you would think she has a pretty good chance. And some of these other women who are entered, I mean, Carissa Schweizer, uh, Marielle Hall, Amy Crag, all of those women, you would think have a decent shot at making the team. Uh, So I think it could be very exciting. Amy Craig, not entirely sure uh, if she would run well cross country. But again, I think if all of them do it, it's going to be really exciting. Could have a really, really good team. uh, And all of them should be in the battle for the win. Molly Huddle is another woman we should mention is running U.S. Cross. She will not run well cross country. She makes the team. though.
0: Why don't we do a whole podcast on that race? That's incredible. Huddle, Craig.
3: You know, it's Flanagan, pretty much I full Thorman team versus
0: Molly not running.
3: Minus Flanagan, who may not be running at all. I mean, she's still training, but we don't know what her career, what's left in her career. But it's great. The whole team's out there. Minus Flanagan and Molly Huddle. It's just tremendous. And I just, as you guys just heard, and Robert has not yet heard on the podcast, you know. I congratulated Shelby. I was like, as a track fan, this is what we need. Like, you guys getting out there, getting dirty, racing. And She was just kind of pumped for the challenge and looking forward to it. And she said all the right things, I felt, even just about the 5K. She was like, look, 15 minutes isn't competitive. You know, we need to be running in the 1430s. And that's cool. what the American mi- mindset needs to be. So I, I, I'm the women's race this is, is stealing the thunder over the men at U.S. Cross. Yeah, this is so exciting to me. I mean,
0: cross-country to me, even though Weldon and I – I mean, Weldon was a great runner. I was like a mediocre runner. Even though Weldon sucked at cross-country, and <laughs> we grew up in a flat Dallas, Texas, and we're not used to running on the grass. But cross-country is what the sport is about and should be about. And to me, like I feel like we should raise – I always want to have a let's run event. Maybe I should just raise $100,000 and add it to the prize money of World Cross to make sure that the best people show up at it. You know, some of these people that are run, running the London Marathon, I'd love to see them, Bridget Coast Guy, go win the world cross-country title three weeks before that. It'd be amazing. But to me, one thing about cross country I think that would make the sport more interesting is look, I know that LA Kipchoge is the best flat marathon runner in the world. He he runs the same flat marathon every year. I mean, whether it's London or Berlin, he can run a time trial race like no one else. But could how would he do in New York or Boston if there's hills or so I think one of the reasons why our sport trouble, trouble, sometimes struggles with popularity is there's no randomness in the results. The best person almost always wins. That's why people like the marathoners are so a little bit more random is just because of the distance. But, you know, there's no interceptions. There's no fumbles. There's no hit the goalpost, you know, dominate possession like you do in soccer and, and still lose the game. But to me with cross country, there's the course. You could show up and it could be if you're not a mutter and it's really muddy, you're probably screwed. Or, you know, it adds a little bit more randomness to the results. So I, I think that it's really exciting for a fan. And maybe the fact that it's biannual, like we don't really know. Like, Shelby Hillihan doesn't do cross all the time. So we don't know how she's going to look, you know, in okay, case. So very, very excited about it. Now, guys, did you ask her the other thing I wanted to ask? I bet you didn't. because I'm going to complain. So if you did or didn't, here's my question of the week. I want to have Shelby Hillihan. Does she have a better chance of meddling? Obviously, the standard is her best chance for meddling. But her second best chance would it be the eight hundred or five thousand? Did you ask her that question?
2: We did not. We did not. The answer is dependent on the rule I think the IAF ruling, in my opinion. I think if the I if the hyperandrogenism rules are upheld, uh she would oh actually I don't know, she would still have a better chance than the eight hundred. I would say five K right right now, as things stand.
3: Yeah, I agree as well. well actually, well, let me see her run a couple five Ks and get her in fourteen twenties, but even let's say it's like a f- 1430 race. Can she kick with those women off that pace? Possibly. The 800, what? You're telling me she's going to beat Ajay and a bunch of other those women? I don't think she's quite as fast as they are. Maybe I'm wrong on
2: that. She might not even make the is U.S. Her- team. I mean, there's Wilson yeah. and there's Rogers. I mean, you, may- you know, she would need to get the third spot on the U.S. team.
3: Yeah. I mean, the U.S.
2: Mm-hmm. it 800 is so good. One person I talked to this no, I'm,
0: week. I'm saying if you put her in the final, it's, it's like, how could she not run like 158? But her PR is only like, is it still 201 from college now?
2: 158's not getting you a medal, Robert. What if any you been watching?
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of, she may be able to run fast like if it was a time trial race because she's so strong, but she wouldn't have the wheels. It's just like when, when people talk about Galen Rupp running a mile is because he can run at the 350 indoor mile. I'm like, no, he would get smoked at USAs. He would get smoked by three thirty six guys at USA's. I like, turn around? Yeah, her PR is two So dumb question. I am actually ruling myself out five thousand. Although her Twitter <laughs> handles John still is Shelby
2: Shelby eight hundred. She said she's never changing it. That's where her roots are. I respect that.
0: So I, w- I would like to see her run eight hundred just to break
3: eight, just to break two. She's
0: there got, got a
2: great mix, you know. She's Shelby eight
3: hundred. Her uncle, I think, was an NCA champ eight hundred. Is that right?
2: I didn't know run, that
3: was an N or NCA finalist or the lore grows
2: as you. So he was a good 800 yeah, meter runner. How about that? She's got, a she's got
3: the, marathoner. I mean, she's got great genes.
2: Yeah. She's got the dream. Every, I think, you know, every runner wants to be, they want to be that guy who can win conference in cross country or sorry, guy or girl who can win conference in cross country and be great at, you know, NCAA cross nationals, but they also want to be able to run on the DMR or something like that. And I, hands, one of those people who can do it all. That is true.
0: correct. Her Uncle Bob was an NCAA indoor 800 meter champion. So he was well, better than Shelby.
3: Wow. I mean that was back in the day.
0: But well, so,
2: Shelby won an NCAA title outdoors, so gotta give her credit for that. And we're, you know, we're
3: we're sort of definitely over an hour, but now people have already heard the podcast. If you're still listening to this point, we could keep going. Well, good job, guys. Uh
0: I No, we have to say one.
3: We've gone over so long. We have to say something about the men's race at US Cross Country. You got all the army guys and Drew Hunter, Eric Jenkins, Ben True. Who's going to win it, guys?
0: <sighs> Wait, Drew Hunter? I'm very excited now. I'm, I'm totally not into the Drew Hunter like track thing at all. I've never I stopped running the mile, it bothers me. But now I'm excited to hear he's in the cross. Anyone who runs cross, Drew, I'm a big fan again now. Like the track, the mile, now. Godfobble. Wait, Scott Garrett Fable? Heath? Is he got- Garrett Heath? You guys Scott are thinking
2: Fable? about this wrong. It's going to be from the WCAP. It's going to be one of those guys, surely.
3: I didn't say they win. i am just thrown out new names. Well, I was just... When when you said
0: Scott Fable, I was thinking of the 44 topless photos that John kept mentioning in his book
3: review. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mentioned them once. Robert's thinking he's, his mind has wandered term. when I mentioned that in the article.
3: There's a new Scott Fable book out, guys. John, what's the name of it?
2: Inside a Marathon by Scott Faubel and Ben Rosario. A recommended read by reviews up on letsrun.com. I
3: guess I should read your review first before I read the book. Confession. Confession. I was
2: busy today. Busy today, John.
3: I could tell you really liked it and it makes me want to read the book.
2: Yeah, I recommend it. It, uh, it was a good one.
3: Make your predictions for, for us cross. I don't even have a list of who, who's running. I mean, Leonard career, Shadrack, of church, probably,
2: you know, I'm picking Shadrack. Leonard career didn't look that great. At uh, the Great Sterling cross-country in Scotland. Hillary Bohr actually won that race. He's running U.S. Cross. He has a good chance to win. I'm going to go with Kipchirchir is the best. I mean, he's a 2707 10K guy. He was second at USA's in the 10K last year, basically because he ran a tactically questionable race, allowed himself to get outcaped by Lopez LeMong. But he was second behind Paul Chalimo at the U.S. 5K Champs back in November. Kipchirchir to me, is the best run? guy in the field. He's going to win. Chalimo is not no
0: could we send an all-foreign-born team, or
2: do we not? You'd need six. I'm sure you could have K- went far enough down. The Hillary, uh, how how about, more. all right, we got Emmanuel Bore, Hillary Bore, Stanley Cabane, Shadrack, Kipchirchir, yeah, Leonard Korya, Abibia, Simbasa. All those guys could theoretically make it. Emmanuel Bore may be a little bit of a stretch. I think you'll get Ben True has a good chance to make it, but it's certainly possible. But- it.
0: I was really worried that nobody was going to do it. I was going to really upset me. So I, I'm I think with guys, Worlds well, we later can, this uh, year,
3: more guys are considering. This is great.
0: U.S. Cross, we got the U.S. Cross Camel City. Get excited, folks! Be a fan.
3: If you're thinking about and going course, to World Cross Country, seriously, email me. We Joe, let's run. And guys, we didn't do user audio this week. We have a wait. caller with an with a nice suggestion. You know, he, wait, wait. He, he has some soft suggestions on how we handle racial issues on the message board, but we can do that next week. No, oh, oh,
0: yeah, I definitely want to hear that. But, folks, Weldon's made it complicated. You have to go to some web link and then click on. You can always call in your audio. 844-LET'S-RUN. That's 844-538-7786. Put it in your phone as your favorite.
3: Call yes, you call in, nature. leave a message. We did have a couple of phone messages this week. Use your audio. is great. The guy called in as a Nike Vapor Nike Vaporfly 4% last week. Still tremendous. I need to give but, a shout out to
0: Stilltown Runner. He left a great message, and I
3: apologize for not getting it. Yes, but it, you know, three weeks in a row, three podcasts. This one, we got to get the production a little bit tighter, guys. But I, I thought it was good. We had our first interview, so thank you, Shelby. That is great. We might even just spit that off as his own little podcast. People just want a thirty-minute listen. But to the guy who last time said we should always end with the famous Mike fake Mike Rossi audio here it is guys signing off this is weldon johnson for jonathan galt and robert johnson here is the fake mike rossi
0: okay okay i'm out i'm out i'm out i'm out weldon johnson man fuck weldon johnson robert johnson holy crap fuck robert johnson Malmo the racist mod Fuck you, Malmo, for deleting all those posts, you racist. Steve Soprano? I don't even know what Steve Soprano does, but fuck that guy too. Jonathan Galt, the only guy with a journalism degree at Let's Run. Fuck Jonathan Galt. Fuck everyone at Let's Run. All of you guys, fuck you. I'm just kidding. Thanks for the website, guys out folks that's not my former owner Oliver I called him by the way it sounds just like him that's all I have to say goodbye